You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello again from the Archaeology and AO podcast. We've had a very busy summer here at the University of Sheffield, so we haven't been doing any podcasts. But now the nights are drawing in, we're very happy to settle in for a pint upstairs at our local pub for the Archaeology and Ale Talks series, which is also the Archaeology and Ale podcast, thanks to the Archaeology Podcast Network. But before we go any further, if you can hear a very loud tick-tock ticking in the background, do not adjust your set. Your equipment is functioning normally. It is in fact the sound of a very impressive old grandfather clock in the corner of my makeshift recording studio. I am bringing this intro to you from the front room of my former landlord's house in Northumberland. I'm up here doing some fieldwork for my PhD and staying in their lounge room. And if you're a regular listener of the Archaeology and Ale podcast, you'll know that our recordings always have a bit of interesting background noise, so I'm pleased to continue that tradition. Anyway, on with the news. An important update. Archaeology in the City has a new website. Please visit archinthecity.wordpress.com. That's A-R-C-H, in the city, all one word, lowercase, dot wordpress.com, and update your bookmarks. This is the place to keep up to date with all of our upcoming monthly talks and free archaeology activities in and around Sheffield, as well as plans for the future Woodland Heritage Festival. For those of you who haven't listened to the Archaeology and Ale podcast before, a quick introduction. We're a free monthly talk. We have guest speakers talking on all kinds of topics and all different parts of archaeology. These can be your usual slideshow and commentary or, as is the case this month, something very different, hands-on and fun. This month it's an arts and crafts special. Through the woods and under the earth. Practical and fun ways of helping people understand Sheffield's landscape heritage by Catherine Nutchins. My colleague Courtney will introduce Catherine's work in the recording, so all I'll say is this. This is a very unstructured recording. Catherine will be teaching some craft activities while talking about her project and talking with people joining in at the event. I'd recommend listening to this while you're doing something crafty or domestic yourself, and it will be almost as good as being there. Perhaps you'll be inspired to try out some willow weaving or plant dyeing activities yourself. Just remember, safety first. And now, welcome to the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to another Archaeology and Ale. Uh, today we've got Catherine Nutjens talking to us about Through the Woods and Under the Earth, and it's been a hands-on this afternoon, which I'm really excited for. Probably a bit too excited for it. <laughs> um, just a little bit on Catherine first. Uh, she's worked in a variety of environment and heritage projects over the last 15 years in Leeds and Sheffield. Uh, she's recently been working on wooden heritage projects in Sheffield over the last few years uh, with archaeology department, specifically uh, Roger Deenan, who I know some of you know, uh, and his postgraduates and friends of Winker Bank Hill. Uh, and she's currently running an HLF-funded project called Roots of Iron uh, that aims to get young people more involved with heritage. And uh, mainly, Catherine really loves trees, fire, and making things. So I'll now pass over to Catherine for this afternoon's talk. Okay. 
Yes, some of you I've met before and uh, some of you are new, which is nice to see. Um, so, um, yeah, I thought about, Courtney asked me to come in and speak um, uh, to, you know, to you, to you all today. I thought it'd be good because since it's August, it'd be nice to do something um, you know, with activities and something a bit more hands-on and things, um, because I have I've been working with the friends of Winkerbank Hill for probably five or six years now, and it's you know, and and that has been part of you know what we've done is about sort of interpreting heritage in an interesting way. Um, so um, first of all, I mean we're working with landscape heritage, so we'll just go on to the next slide. There we go. Um, so, yeah, what is landscape heritage? Um, now, obviously, there's, there's three aspects to, to landscape heritage. Part of it, obviously, is the land. And that's what I've worked in a lot is the kind of biodiversity aspect of it, looking, you know, working for the Woodlands Department, looking at the things that grow there and things like, you know, the min mini beasts and insects that live there, um, looking at geology and things like that. Um, there's obviously people as well with any aspect of education. Um, to do with landscape heritage, you're working with people. So it might be schools, it might be the, the community, um, and they obviously, you know, feel the way they do about their land. And then the heritage aspect is the time. So, you know, the people aspect of it is the people that have lived there over the time in that landscape. So, you know, these. Um, these different bits all merge together to make landscape heritage. And actually, if you look at sort of the sides here, so if you have land and time, that might be what the archaeologists do. Um, the people and the time, that's maybe things like writing about history and oral history. And then, you know, people and land in this bit, um, you know, you're looking at kind of human geography where, you know, people in Sheffield would have first settled here because of the rivers and the hills and the geology of um, having a lot of iron ore and things that, that made, you know, Sheffield what it is. So, so yeah, it's all mixed in together to make landscape heritage. Um, so this specific bit of landscape heritage I've done an awful lot of work on is um, Winkerbank Hill Fort. Now, I know some of you have been up to Winkerbank Hill Fort. Who, who has been? Who's been up to Winkerbank? So <laughs> that's good. So a few, if you have, if you haven't been up to Winkbank, it's definitely worth worth a look because it is a, a bit of sort of hidden heritage in a way. You know, a lot of people that we take up there for the first time are really amazed at, you know, just the the landscape around them of how you get this 360 view all around the city, and it is home to a, a an Iron Age hill fort, which has been the focus of a lot of heritage lottery projects in the past so we've had a lot of school kids up there and things um, and then we were very lucky to get some money to do some work with Arc Heritage um, and they allowed us to do a LIDAR so if we just have a look at the next slide so there we can see I mean the, on the last slide you could see kind of the view from um, from the top of the hill foot but there you can really see the, the hill fort in its entirety you've got kind of the houses along here and then these are pits that have been dug possibly during the war but the iron age hill fort is very much um in evidence on the lidar report so it's, it's really exciting to be able to have access to that kind of you know heritage and things so why is winkerbank hill fort important 
um, if we have a look, I mean, if we have a look on the next slide. Now, from a from a historian's point of view, um, it's an Iron Age scheduled monument. You know, it's very old. It, there's evidence of Iron Age working there and the earthworks and things. It's one of the very few urban hill forts in the world. Um, and, you know, it has this, this, you know, impact on the wider history of the British Isles in that it may be part of a... Um, a boundary between sort of northern and southern England, um, possibly with Mantor and Karl Wark and things like that. So, you know, so it, it has a very important place within British history, but it, it is more than just a historical landmark. It's, it's much more than that for the people that, that you know, live and work around it. Um, so, you know, it's important to the people. So if we go on to the next slide... So, I mean, you know, having worked there for six, six years, you, you've got to ask, why is it important to people? Well, first of all, if you look on Sheffield Forum or something like that, then you will notice and you type in the word Winkerbank, then every single thing is about, I remember the time that I was up at Winkerbank and, you know, we did this and, you know, we slid down the grass and we used to go in the cottages and we used to know, was it Mrs. Hammerjam? Mr. and Mrs. Hammerjam, that seems to come up that. a lot. There's, uh, but that's it. Lots of people that have kind of conversation threads about this kind of memory around Winkerbank Hill. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a lot of people say about how many of the citizens of Winkerbank were actually conceived on top of Winkerbank Hill, which is, <laughs> which is nice. Um, and, and I think that's the thing in that it definitely creates a sense of identity amongst the people because it's been there for such a long time. It's such a, a, a fixed point in history. You know, that definitely runs through the community in, in Winkerbank and, and makes people have a feeling about it makes them you know it has an emotional attachment for them um so i've gone to the next one it's also really good i mean this is kind of what i suppose part of what i've been doing because it's a woodland site because it's a natural site um it, it's it creates a sense of well-being if you go up to winkerbank hill you can look out onto all of sheffield it gives you that kind of sense of being in charge of the world, you know, you can see all of all of Sheffield below you, all the steelworks and Meadow Hall and things. And also, once you've got up the hill, you'll find yourself quite quite puffed because it's quite steep. So it's a really good source of physical activity. It helps people get out and about more. You know, it's free. It's you know, it's it's really good fun. One of the things that we've done a lot of, and you see in the picture is a lot of, um, they've got really good trees for climbing up on, on Winkerbank Hill. They're all little um, multi-stemmed coppice oaks. And, you know, it's, we've done a lot of kind of wild play up there. And, and often when I'm just walking up there, there is um, kids climbing in the trees and, you know, still having a really nice time up there. Um, and obviously it's good to relax. Like I say, it's, it's you know, it is a, a nice, peaceful place that's away from a lot of the busyness of the rest of Sheffield. And it's also been, and I, I think it's really interesting, Winkerbank has been a real centre for poetry. It does seem to inspire people about writing poetry and you know, it just seems to generate, there's always a poem about Winkerbank that's just been written. But also uh, music, people have written songs about it. There's all the, um, the journeys to hidden places, sculptures and things and a lot of art that schools have generated around it. So it is a source of inspiration and has been throughout you know throughout history there's you know Ebenezer Elliot I think has 
written about Winkerbank before it was all industrious about all the skylarks and everything. So, so yeah, so it has that kind of health and well-being aspect around it as far as the people are concerned. So the, the next, if we go on to the next slide. Um, and this is a bit, what, what's good is that this heritage site, this is a heritage site that's important, but actually it helps improve the community because, because it's a rallying point for people to get together and do something positive. It means that, um, you know, basically what we do with, you know, the Sheffield City Council, who I represent the university, and obviously the Friends of group, you know, come together to do things like, this is a photograph from Light Up the Hill, which is a big lantern festival that we work with all the schools, and, um, you know, we get, I think, 200, 250 or 300 people up there, um, you know, that come and take part in all this lantern and fire and things like that. And it's inspired some of the friends to dress up as Celts and um, reenact Car the Cartimandua play, all about Cartimandua handing Caraticus over to the Romans. And you know, it has that kind of thing. And all those people come together, you know, because, the, you know, of this ancient monument. And I think that what's good about that, about that kind of way that landscape heritage can generate a community, is that you would hope that it's going to inspire the younger generation um, to continue that on, to continue on looking after the hill and making sure it's not forgotten about. Because at the end of the day, that is what our heritage is about. If we don't, if we don't know it's there, then it's not valued. So while people are shouting about it and their friends are doing all the work they're doing, you know, it's, it, it becomes a real positive influence on the community. So that kind of is what, you know, what, we've, what I've certainly been involved in, been lucky enough to be involved in, in the last six years. Um, and I, I suppose part of the reason that I got involved in working on projects like Winkbank is because I, I really like the active part of, of learning um, and about, you know, taking young children and young people out of schools and doing something a bit more practical and hands-on and, you know, looking at landscapes and, you know, getting our hands dirty and things. Um, and um, I've actually done quite a lot of this. We'll move on to the, the next slide. Because one of the things that I think I remember from school, I was, I was always, you know, I was always, they were so, you know, the class tidies up and they helped Catherine tidy up. Now, I was always the one that got every pen out of the box and all the paintbrushes out and had a go at everything. Um, but, you know, being tidy and writing neatly in the lines was never one of those things. And I think it, it helped me maintain an interest in, in everything, you know, to always be interested in, in different things. Um, there's a famous math mathematician, P.R. Halmus, um, who said, I hear, I forget. I see, I remember, I do, I understand. And I think that's something that I really believe in, in that when children get involved in hands-on stuff, rather than looking at history from a book, but when they can actually go up Winkerbank Hill and have a go at, at Wattle and Daub or doing something like that, they're much more likely to remember that that is a special place rather than looking in the book or, or you know, reading in the paper or whatever. And, you know, it's fairly well kind of studied, this kind of visual um, and audio and kinesthetic way of learning is much better. If you think back to maybe your own school 
and what you actually remember that you learned about. It's often things on school trips that really inspired you because you were actually out there and, and doing things. So if we go on to the, the next slide. So yeah, I just thought I'd put a bit of, <laughs> a bit of academic stuff that we do about constructive, um, constructivist learning, which is all about the way that people learn through um, basically doing. So if you imagine something like riding a bike, um, you don't learn to ride a bike by reading a book about it. You get on your bike and think, how on earth does anyone ever learn to ride this? How does it, you know, it's like magic. But then you go to bed and you think about it and then you get back on it and you're a little bit better at it. And then you get off it again. You think, actually, that didn't work quite so well. Maybe I need to go a bit faster. And then you get on it again. And then eventually, once you've been through that period of, you know, trying, having a go, experimenting, and going back and kind of conceptualising the idea and thinking, oh, how can I improve on that? And getting back on the bike again. And that is a way that you can start to cement the learning in, in your heads. And, you know, it's been quite well, you know, well studied that, um, that this is, you know, the way that children learn, that they learn by doing and by experimenting. And, you know, it gives them a good, you know, a good cement in their heads to how you learn. And I was saying disciplines like computer games, they look into this a lot. So when you're, I don't know, using an iPad or playing Grand Theft Auto or, or whatever, then they, people don't want you to have to read a manual before you, you, you play a computer game. They want it to be as interactive as possible. And then on the other side of that, what I've been involved in, um, the Forest School movement, which is all about um, being outside and learning to use tools and trying different ways of of doing things um, outside um, and you know that that's also kind of going through that constructive way of thinking so uh, yes so if we go on to the next slide so what that means is this is all kind of very theoretical side of things means that you get to do a lot of fun things um, so all the different bits and pieces that I've been involved in recently um, you know, working with schools to, to bring out um, heritage and help people understand it. And um, things like the craft. So we've done some blacksmithing um, recently with some of the young people, but things like clay and willow weaving, um, you know, make it doing a bit of bas basketry that we're going to concentrate on today. Um, I do an awful lot of, um, or I used to do an awful lot of environmental education. So that's things like, you know, bug hunting and um, pond dipping and, uh, and bushcraft, which is a lot of fire lighting, um, building dens, you know, that kind of thing about being in nature and using aspects of nature to, um, you know, to, to, for it to provide what we need to, to survive. Um, experimental archaeology, I don't know how many of you, I know certainly Lenore's definitely been involved doing a lot of uh, iron smelting and bronze casting. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's Roger's big department doing an awful lot of um, building um, the furnaces and things and, and uh, doing that. And that's, you know, it's really good. It's interesting talking to um, some of the children that I meet, I mean, they're now quite old, but they remember coming up the hill as eight years old and remember what they did, um, you know, when they did some iron smelting up there. They can't always say what it is, but they, they, know, they know they did it and they know that Wingerbank Hill is important. Um, 
so yeah, and then physical activity. What's been nice is that now that teachers know that Winkerbank Hill is there, I know that there's certainly a running group that comes up Winkerbank Hill. Um, so they tend to look, you know, look at the, the ramparts and things and, um, you know, take that in as they're, as they're going all the way up that hill. Obviously, it's a good place for defence. Um, and, uh, and then conservation activities. Hillary and Ken are involved in an awful lot of uh, litter picking and, you know, taking down the... Are you still taking down the small trees up there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, just as far as the, the hill's concerned, just clearing some of the, um, you know, the, the sight lines and stuff as the, the, the birches regenerate. Um, and then storytelling and interpretation. So these are some of the events that we run. It's the theatre and stuff that the friends get involved in, and um, you know. And, and I think that's you know that is what really brings it brings it to life. So all of those are an aspect of this kind of constructivist learning. It's all kind of building up different ways of learning about things by doing something. You know, it's, it, it, it helps engage people that, that then may go on and, and look at it from a more academic perspective. But, you know, to get people involved at the very beginning, it's a really, really good way of doing about, um, you know, focusing on, on that sort of thing. So... Um, we'll go to the next one. So I just thought I'd put some pictures on here. So this is us, our constructivist learning. Um, that's when we uh, did um, a few weeks of um, basically building an Iron Age village up on Winkerbank Hill. And um, we were building a roundhouse using Watland Orb. So we've got loads of clay up there and kids had to jump up and down it and squish it with the hands. And uh, yeah, they they had a great time, <laughs> really mucky. And it was look at the trees; it was March then, so it's quite cold. But they they really enjoyed it. But I mean, that way, you know, they get to see how you you know how you could build a house with just mud and sticks. You know, they, they begin to understand how this would all work together without having to sort of talk about it and go through the process in the classroom. Um, we go on to the next one. This is last, when was that, last spring? So I was iron smelting with some of the um, young people on Roots of Iron. And um, basically this is the first day, so we're building all the bricks. And uh, yeah, they've been jumping up and down on the, well, essentially what is more daub. Um, so it's a bit of, you can see the hay in the corner there and clay that we actually dug out of, um, out of Woolly Woods, which is where that is. Um, so it was really nice that all the young people got to have a go and see, you know, see all the physics of how a, a furnace like that works, how you can actually build something that gets up to, you know, eight, nine hundred degrees just out of what is available to you on the ground. Um, so, you know, it, it was really valuable to have those two days and, and work with that. And yeah, I mean, given those, having that time with them really helps, you know, them understand what it's all about and what you're doing. Okay. Um, this is more a bit about what we'll be doing today. Now, with um, I work in woodlands, obviously, and, and woodlands actually can tell you an awful lot about the landscape that you're in. So, you know, if you have a lot of um, hazel, for example, that, that might be evidence of old hazel coppice and coppice stands. <laughs> Certainly up at Winkerbank, if you look at the oak trees and the way that they're shaped, 
Um, we know that they would have probably 70, 80 years ago would have all been fell to ground level and since then they've, they've grown back up. Um, and um, I mean also things like old big old oaks um, in lines of old hedgerow trees, you know, from you know, almost ghosts of old field boundaries and things like that. So looking at trees can actually tell us an awful lot about the landscape heritage. So in order to make that fun and to order to be able to identify leaves, one of the things that we do is it's got a posh name called Hapazome, but we actually call it leaf bashing. Or have a go at have a go at this. It's basically getting a leaf and putting in some cotton. This is one that I, I found earlier. It's a sycamore from Mearsbrook Park. And uh, um, Yes, and basically you bash it with a hammer. <laughs> I'll show you how to do that um, later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, it means that if you do that with a group, a class, first of all, because they've got to hammer it with the whole, you know, the whole side of the leaf, they've got to be aware of what shape the leaf is. And then, you know, you can write on it what it is and where it's from. And it, it, it helps remember they can take something home to their mum or, you know, or whoever, it doesn't matter what age you are really, but you can look at that and they can look at it again and think, yes, I remember that because that was the shape of leaf. And so I know that that's a sycamore. And so therefore, you know, therefore that learning has taken place and they will remember in the future which tree is the sick might remember any other trees, but you know, they'll know that that leaf, because they did the leaf bashing, is a, is a sycamore leaf. So a really simple way of, of doing it. Also gets people out in the woods as well. I mean, we're not in a woodlands here today, but um, you know, if people go off and find the leaves that they want, then it means you can kind of get them to look for things. And, and that investigation, um, you know, having a reason to look at things is always really helpful, I think, when you want children to learn about something. So next one, um, yes, willow fish. Um, it'd be lovely to do baskets with you today. I mean, I think, you know, from a kind of, um, from a people's perspective, if you think about um, a basket as a piece of technology, um, you know, it's an amazing advanced piece of technology. You've got something that is light, that, you know, that is made from something that's very easily accessible, that allows you to carry far more than you'd ever be able to carry with just your hands. And so, as a, you know, the, the kind of willow and the, the weaving technology is so important to human history. You know, it, it, you know it's all part, you know, it's part of building walls and things out of Watland Orb. but it's part of creating things to carry other things in. You know, it's a really important um, technology that, you know, that we don't really see anymore. It's kind of gone, you know, it's a hobby now. But in order to understand the concept of something like that, it's great to be able to do Watland Orb if you've got the, you know, the space to do it or, or make a basket. But willow fish are an easy way if you've got a little bit of time. Um, I have actually got some clay. So if you wanted to make a Watland Orb fish, <laughs> then you could do that as well. And you could carry things with your fish. I don't know. It's uh, got a little one here that I made earlier. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's helpful to kind of see that, you know, the stick that you're using is just a stick that you would get out of the ground. There's nothing special about it. It's not like it's been, you know, brought in from anywhere or, you know, bought in a shop in a packet. You know, it's it's actually out of the ground and and you can, you know, you can make something from it. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so um, just before we um, maybe go downstairs and have a go at some of these things, um, has anyone got any questions?
Nope. Okay. Right. Well, we'll have a go. The uh, another thing I've got, I've got enough um, bits of material and things for for you to have a go at. If people are waiting around, um, I've also got here. This is left over from the wilderness skills course that we did um, and this is actually this is from Nigel the Viking <laughs> Nigel the Viking has actually written some some runic text and this is um, a, uh, a bow drill and oh, I bet I can't do it this time it's because I found the watching but this is actually the way that potentially people would have used to light fires so we won't actually start any fires today but you could have a practice with it because it's a bit of a skill basically it might be easy two-handed but you use you use um, the bow to move backwards and forwards on the uh, on the baseboard, and then have that on the top. And by friction, by this turning round and round, you get the the smoke and things. You can have a go. I'll I'll show you how to do it, and you'll you'll find out how actually it, how pretty efficient it is. It's quite impressive. It's hard to get it get a fire lit by it, but to actually get the smoke, it's not that difficult. So. So if you if you if you wait around, you can have a go at that. Would anyone like to have a go? Come on, Toby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So if you um, I don't know where the best place to do this is. Is it better? Probably not to stand up. Well, the the way the way that you do it, I'll I'll show if you can see. Shall I show people here until you can see? The, the, the key to getting this right, and I'm not going to start any fires. I'm not. Even, I haven't. It's a real skill. But it's interesting watching somebody that's done this a lot, which is uh, there's a say Nigel who came on the wilderness skills course. Kind of, he did this in barefoot in February. It was amazing. But he could get a fire started in sort of five minutes. And the idea is is that it's like basically it doesn't matter what the weather's like as long as you've got your your fire kit you know your your bow drill kit with you then you can always get a fire started so you have to kind of brace your let's have a think you have that on there and you brace your arm next to <laughs> and the idea is that you move that backwards and forwards yeah Yes, you have to get it round the right way, mm. and it twists it. But it, it, it's a real nice. It's one of those things that you spend mm, hours, like it's <laughs> hours doing. There we go. That's the wrong way around. Do you want to have a go? Uh, yeah, I'm going to watch you do it. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. Uh, I'm left-handed. What difference does this, does this make? I don't think any it makes any difference. Maybe turn your thing around. And I want that foot there, darling. So that, so that, that, yeah. that like spins that. around like that. that. Yeah. And the way that you want it is, like that. so okay. that's like yeah. that. That goes oh, down. That way, that way. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Oh, I right. just cut my wire. Okay. Yeah. And then it moves backwards and forwards. Brace your arm underneath. That's it. Brace, brace. Have you done it before, Lenore? Yeah. You've, oh, Lenore's done it before. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's why I'm not too worried that there'll be any massive fires. <laughs> 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 but it's, it's quite. I mean, it's easier. I think it's easier outside when 
you know, kind of things yeah. are wet. And you can use um, leaves for um, for lubrication and stuff up there. But it's it's uh, it's, it's really interesting because it, you know, we just don't think about kind of heating and stuff and the way that people would have lived. When you realise actually how how skilled you need to be just to to get a fire lit. You know, you think it's incredible, really, and and it, and it helps people understand that, you know, the people that lived in Sheffield two thousand years ago were not backward people. They just didn't have the same access to technology that we have, you know, these days, or even you know, two hundred years ago. Oh. So it's just, yeah, it's it's learning in a different way, and much more, you know, much more being able to be skilled at things to. To get you know fires lit and thing. Very motivating. Absolutely. To do it. That was a hobby. One night cold and wet in the winter here, and you figure. Have we got? Have we got? In half an hour, we have two tables outside. Right. Okay then. Well, I'll tell you what. Should we? If, if people want to have a go and see if they can get a little bit of smoke coming out the. Um, the top. If you feel that, I'll be hot now. Is it hot? Oh, well, yes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> Just yeah, need to do, do it harder. So I'll do some, we'll do some, who would like to have a go at um, making a willow fish? Do you like some, some willow? There we go. There we are. You probably need some more. In fact, what I might do. Anyone wants to be added to the RPOG and AL mailing list? Because we do these Right. If um, if you'd like to, I think what the easiest thing to do if you'd like to have a go at willow fish, if you want to grab yourself a, a bit of willow from the um, from the pile of willow there, I think it's easier than handing it out. Otherwise, I'll end up. I have a pen, I have a pen. What? I'll put a... Oh, you gave me a pen. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just like, I didn't write it in there. Blinding myself. Do you like a piece of willow? Yes. There we go. Right. I'll grab a piece of willow as well, so I'll have a, a demo. Oh, Ray, Ray, Ray Listy, yeah, they're, they're, they're the willow fish people. Yeah, Ray Law Willow Fishes with Ray and Sam. I haven't seen them for a while, actually. So you used to do all the willow weaving and stuff. Yeah, I think they've got the in house people. Yeah. They, come, mm. they bring out wood. All right. But, uh, mm, I'll remember that if they're, if they're around and stuff. Right. Okay. So willow, willow fish. <laughs> 
So the first thing that you need to do, and it has been a while, I've done that first willow fish, it's probably cut a little bit longer than that. So maybe something about that long, depending how big you want your fish to be. And this is going to be the main structure of your fish. Now, with willow, yeah, this would be a tiny weeny fish. With willow, the, what you have to watch with it, if you haven't used it before, is not to kink it. So I've got the nose of the fish there. Um, but you, you want to try not to kink it in any other way. If you want to, if you're feeling, if you're feeling that you, you need a bit of help, you can actually, I've got some string to tie that off. But in a way, you could just hold it like that and then we'll start to weave it the next way. So if you want to cut your, cut your end, so maybe a little bit longer than the way I've cut it. I say, oh, you're all wet. Excellent. You should, you should be uh, doing this bit. I'm always interested to see how are the, the people. Oh, but I've sort of bent with willows. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I've not done a fish. Made a <laughs> that's good though, that's good. Maybe get another of get or use the thinner bit of your willow. Some bit because that's that's why I soak it is to make it more bendy so it's not it's not brittle. Um but it's uh yeah, it will, it will snap. The bigger bits, the bigger bits that you get will be more snappy. No, 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 I broke it. It's looking good. Nice, nice big one. <laughs> <laughs> right. So once you've once you've got your your end and it's and you've sort of made it into the shape of a fish, something whoops, something like like that. You want to get your other bit of willow. Have I nicked your your other bit of willow? That could be that could be yours. And um, with the thin end, you want to start to weave the bit with your tail sort of in and out so so you want to kind of secure that bit and you can imagine that it was string basically so you weave a bit on the tail side and then you can move in to the to the the body of the fish and start to weave that in remember that when you start weaving that you want to keep you want to try and keep your, your fish body, try, try to stop it from closing in, if you see what I mean, so you've got space to, to do it. But it's one of those things that you have to do. It's very kind of touchy-feely exercise. You know, you kind of get the feel for it, like knitting or something like that. Let's see how... How's it going? Is it... Yeah, that's looking pretty good. Yay, that looks pretty good. Is it making sense? Yeah, brilliant. So if you kind of start to weave it, weave your end bit. This bit? Yeah, and I kind of weave it a bit on the tail side and then a little bit in the... Oh, uh, okay. And you just to go round and round? Not round and round, but you go in and out, so... Oh, okay, figure of eight. Figure of eight, that's okay. it. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, apparently I'm not dexterous. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know anything about myself. <laughs> but it's not curvaceous. It's like a lady figure. How are we getting on over here? Is it, is it all making sense? Uh, uncertain, but maybe. And so you seem to have a very small bit of willow. But um, that's all right. You always get it. So yeah, so watch. So if you, like at the end there, I've just kind of. I mean, I could have probably gone oh, over there a bit more. Okay. Um, and then it's all figure of eating. And then to snip some it goes in. Huh? Yeah, and basically you can carry on if you once you your willows run out, you can start to grab the next bit. So that's looking all right. How are we getting on over here? Is that making sense? I understand. Yeah, no, that looks all right. And that's looking all right. You just need to get the main bits on. That's looking okay. <laughs> oh look at that! I can see, I can see the smoke rising. Yeah. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> well, that's it. I have got. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I've got some. I'm just trying to think. Well, I've got any knives to. It is. It is. Well, I, I didn't want to because I did say that I wouldn't do fire. I wondered about. I thought. Well, people used to smoke in the pub. You know, perhaps we could set fires in Astra. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the same sort of thing, really. <laughs> right, how's that going? It smells great, doesn't it? How's it going? That's looking pretty good. I'm not sure the starting bit. It's the fiddliest bit. It's kind of get. It's kind of holding your your little tail in place while you. And you might be able to still move it around. You know, you can kind of move the the weave around. <laughs> Let's have a look at yours. That's good. Now that I've worked out, yeah. I did that bit right. Well, the main thing is if you if you've woven it enough, then it should start to keep. And that's all right though. That looks pretty good. Anglerfish. Well, if you want it, you can always trim it off. <laughs> so once you've once you've woven your first little bits I don't know how um, if you if Richard can I borrow your fish it's an angler fish <laughs> excellent <laughs> Richard's Richard's done one here that's kind of which is quite nice it's spaced a spaced out weave if you want it more neat a narwhal it doesn't matter it's up to you it's about the creative process Yes, it's uh, it's it's quite it's uh, nice. It's not very uh, authentic though. The uh, bit of wood because I think that's a bit of pine from being Hugh. Yeah, because he'd be lime. Yeah, it was what it's what he had to hand. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I have used. I mean, it was literally what they they brought. It might be hornbeam. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the baseboard. It might be nice. I've done it with sycamore and sort of variety of. Well, lines are in light, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Take long to get a nice powdery. Yeah. 
Yeah, to get the. I suppose the problem is with pine is it's more resinous, so it kind of they don't get the, the powder so much. I think it would go well because it just sticks it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, that's what I thought. Got all these, um, but it was nice of Nigel to leave me these these bits. Yeah, yeah. Just nice and tight with. So a bit of hazel or something like that. Well, that seems fine. Maybe it's hazel. Lots of soap. It's about it's, it's invoking kind of yeah. It does actually. It's something about invoking the fire spirit or something. Only that cat over here taught me how to knit, and she only knew how to knit arms around me and hold my hands. This is something very rude. Is that say Fufak? Yeah. Yeah, well I think it does. Um, right. We'll say Nigel's a, a pagan. So he um you know, he kind of has this thing about invoking the spirits of fire and you know, he's quite an interesting chap. He's a good, yeah, a good, a good person for the young people to meet. <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit different from your teachers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's good. And a bit about uh, Norse, Norse myth. And there's some people that still believe all of this. Also. So that's good. <laughs> Yeah. But um, yeah, for some of it, the the willow is too thick. You might struggle with some of the bits. So you can you can chop, you can get it thinner, and it'll it does it does snap. Is there are the secateurs around? There's some secateurs to borrow your. There we go. You bugged me. Um, a thin bit, yeah. Let's have a look. There we go. So yeah, you might want to trim it down a bit. I, I couldn't really weave the, the thicker bit. I'm like double contending you. There we go. There we go. Some other bits. This um, some willow that we use for um, for weaving and things is actually called buff willow. Um, and uh, it has the and the stuff that we used to make the lanterns. Have you ever done lantern making? Um, it might be an ori a very orangey colour. And buff willow actually has its bark removed, um, whereas this has just been been trimmed. Um, you know, and it's, you can still see all the buds on it. Um, but I think buff willow just kind of lasts longer. I'm not sure. It's, it it soaks up the water much better and is more bendy. There's a thin bit here if anyone wants it. <laughs> that's really, yeah, that's pretty thick, that bit. So we want to trim it off. I think I nicked your secateurs. Oop, sorry. There we go. 
I totally didn't know. It's good. Well, Willow Weaving's one though. It's very relaxing. That's quite a thick one. That one. Yeah. I might go for a for a thinner one. There we go. Jealous of my misshapen fish. There we go. Oh, what's that, Chris? You're doing better than I am with your fish. I said my misshapen fish. This yours looks like a whale. Mine's not the right set. I'm going to make an angler fish. Oh, fish. You're going to be the thing out the front of it? Yeah. Are you going to be the little baby fish or it's face? Oh, I like a little. A little dangly. Well, we should get these to your family. No, no, no. Christmas present. Sorry, we could do that. We could paint them as well. Hate them? What? Huh? Yes. You can make them like Christmas decorations and knit tiny little Christmas hats. Well, what's quite nice actually is um, if you finish it, you can give it a little um, a, a rod, so you can have a fish on a rod. <laughs> That's always lots of fun. It's what we do. I usually the same with Sam and Ray at the Bluebell Festival. Yeah. Sam and Ray actually grow willow in. Um, Ashbourne, is it Ashbourne? Can you remember where, where are they? They're in Derbyshire somewhere, aren't they? I or Cheshire. Um, but they grow their own willow. Um, and, uh, you know, they sell their baskets and do basket weaving courses and things. Yeah. But uh, for children, they do willow fish. And at events, you always have loads of kids going around with, you know, fish on, fish on little rods. It's very, very sweet. No, these are really great. And obviously, shots keep laughing at the public. Like, we're learning. Am I doing? We have to make a few students do this. Oh my god, I would totally do this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did um, aquatic biology at Hull, and I had to um, learn how to fix fishing nets, which was quite good fun because I did a fisheries fisheries module. That's a good <laughs> Yeah, no, I enjoyed that bit. Nothing is coming now. I was super excited about when I gave the image. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they probably would have done. Certainly in. Um, uh, what do you call it? Trout for for you know catching trout and things like that. The, a lot of baskets are used. Um, but I don't know about yeah. I don't know about kind of the Iron Age or you know early fishing and whether I don't know. Does anyone know about? Uh, I mean, they were baskets. They were baskets. Yeah. yeah. And also uh, fishing traps often like state lines and then they just have baskets at the end. Yeah. Mm. Like, mm. You know, like eel catching yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, a lot of them are basically lobster pops. Yeah. 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 Willow, willow bark is actually it's um, salicylic acid, yeah. which is um, come on brain, which is aspirin. Yeah, um, yeah. So it, they, I mean, not only would willow have been exceptionally useful for making all your baskets and your and your fishing traps and everything like that, but also you would have used it medicinally. 
um, for, for, you know, I think that up until recently before they um, learned how to make it chemically, they still use willow to extract phallus. Is that correct? Think, I don't know. So, willow bark was still, the salicylic acid for aspirin was extracted from willow bark up until fairly recently. Because yeah. no, it's fairly, yeah, because yeah, I think now it's all, it's all um, done chemically, synthetic, yeah. They said, I mean, that with more structure, if you can make a willow fish, I think you can probably make a basket. Um, you know, it's, it's that kind of weaving technology that, that people would have learned early on. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, can I yeah, which, which one did you make? The, um, did you make the one with the handle, or was it a, a bigger kind of log-type ba basket? No, it's yeah, because they're quite good, the little, the ones that you're big enough to put strawberries in. I was thinking, like, what you put strawberries in. Yeah. I quite like making those, because they've got the hazel, is it, but I think mine's got a hazel handle. Hmm. I don't think we're getting enough cocoa, so you didn't come over as often. Yeah, well, I mean, that would be quite because there's quite a lot of people do. I know Pete at the uh, Exel Woods sells his, you know, he sells all of his logs there. Don't know how they compare with Ray and Sam's and stuff. And that was dry. I tell you that it's all right. Well, well, Pete's, Pete's at the sawmills is not as dry. We've got, a, we've, got a, we've got a moisture thing. Oh, have you? Because our clients aren't dry. Oh, yeah, that was quite, quite dry. Mm. So we get our skin. Mm. Yeah, I imagine that he's a dry, just because he's a kind of total wood person. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good stuff. <coughs> That's it, we keep them saying, because I'm, I'm um, a community tree officer now, so I'm actually involved in some of the <laughs> some of the taking down of some of the trees, but not street trees. And um, it's quite interesting that if Chilara hits, there'll be lots of ash logs around. You know, the ash, ash dieback is saying that. Be, uh, yeah, it's really good, really good ash. Yeah, but 
plants, it's, cause it burn, it'll burn green. It's what we look for for, um, you know, for when we're doing stuff out with the kids, actually, because it means you can just cut it straight down and, and it'll burn. <laughs> No right. Mm. Yeah, well, it's quite useful because it's just pine, so it goes up. It's yeah. I mean, it, it usually. If, Sandstone cables over from India. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the sandstone? They're in. Uh, I really? Yeah. What? How? Um, how can? How can they using mahogany for it? Surprise! Because you would have thought it'd take a long time to grow. Yeah. 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 But the economic the what was it? An escaped pet or something like that? No, no, to just complimentary. Oh right, oh right. So the, in the packaging, it actually got an Indian snake in it. Poisonous black Indian God. snake. Well, they found somebody who collected poisonous snakes, mm. and he came and took it. Yeah. I don't know if he survived, but he was married. He probably been there for years. And it's very well done. Sometimes catching much. That's good. And it's hard. It's hard to get that end bit. It's where, let's say, with one of the things we have when we're doing all the lanterns, is um, just finding somewhere to soak it so it goes. You need a water butt, really. Or they now give us these plastic bags that are nice and long. But I could only soak sort of enough of it to my bath wasn't big enough. <laughs> Do you want to make? Oh, you've got a little mini fish. Uh, baby fishing. Fish it's quite nice. Mm -hmm. so give it a. Um, light up the hill. The light up the hill. Yes, yes, it is on November the tenth. Light up the hill on a Tuesday. So I'll be putting that out and letting people know about it. So yes, if you're around, if you certainly if you've not been up to Winkerbank, a good time to go. If well, I'll go beforehand. But we have a big lantern festival. Um, on November the 10th this year um, with lots of lanterns and we have um, uh, archaeological blacksmithing and um, lots of Celts and music and all sorts of exciting things. It looks amazing up in the night, you know, going up in night time. So it's definitely a good time to to visit Winkerbank. And actually, if you want to know what's going on with the project, if you go, if you Google Roots of Iron, then I update the blog regularly and, let, and I'll yeah, let you know any activities that we're doing. So, thank you for listening to the Archaeology and AL podcast. If you're a new listener, I hope you enjoyed it. If you're a regular, welcome back. If you're near Sheffield, do come along to the next talk and join in. You can find out about upcoming talks at our new website, arkinthecity.wordpress.com. 
or follow the links from our Facebook and Twitter profile. I'll include information on Catherine's talk and projects in the show notes, available on the Archaeology Podcast Network website. And thanks again to the Red Deer for hosting our talks and to the Archaeology Podcast Network for syndicating our podcasts. Do get in touch if you have any comments about the podcast. We'd love to hear from you on social media. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.